The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Josh Norris here again with part two of the offseason conversation with Evan Silva. Last time we focused on the AFC West and the AFC South. That means this time it's the AFC North and the AFC East. So that means we'll talk about the Cincinnati Bengals losing Marvin Jones and Muhammad Sanu. And if Brandon LaFell, yes, that Brandon LaFell will be more productive this season than rookie Tyler Boyd on the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns, where it could be the Duke Johnson show, the Baltimore Ravens and how Kamar Aiken will lead them in targets and points this season, the Pittsburgh Steelers and what will happen now that Martavis Bryant is out for the season due to suspension. Um, then move on to the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills leading the NFL in carries last season. And if that can be replicated this season, um, the New England Patriots seemingly going back to the dominant two tight end set that they used from a few years ago with the addition of Martellus Bennett. This offseason, the Miami Dolphins and Jay Ajayi in his second season. And finally, ending with Chan Gailey and the New York Jets and his love of the four wide receiver sets. So once again, here's my conversation with Evan Silva. All right, Evan, on the last one, we finished the AFC West and AFC South. Now we're doing AFC North and AFC East. Let's start in the AFC North. Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I mean, they were picked apart at wide receiver in terms of Muhammad yeah, Sanu yeah. getting a deal with the Falcons, who's not a good player, and and Marvin Jones going to the Lions, who is a good player. Now, the only way they invested, reinvest in that position is Tyler Borden in the second round and Bren LaFell in free agency. Um, is there any cause for optimism here with this offense compared to last year? It's a, ve- it's a very, very interesting offense to try to evaluate and – figure out where the ball is going to go. We know the ball is going to go to EJ Green, who I think we, you know, we talked a lot of last year before the season about how Julio Jones was going to have a monster season because he was just going to destroy in the target department. I think that that'll be AJ Green this year. Uh, I was looking at the Bengals schedule the other day. They start off pretty tough, but beginning about week six on, I mean, they have just, clear sledding in terms of schedule, you know, just looking at, at cornerback matchups. And I, I think AJ Green is going to blow it up mm-hmm. this season. Um, but it, it's very interesting because, you know, Andy Dalton has been a stud fantasy quarterback in two of his last three seasons, but we know that he's a limited player. Yeah. He has limitations. And, but sometimes when you surround a limited player with a lot of studs, 
then that limited player can be super, super productive. We've seen the inverse of that with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. You know, they, they have one good player around him. Mm-hmm. And with Cincinnati, you know, last year they had a lot. Um, and now they, they suddenly, they, they, you know, their, their weaponry is a concern now. They still have a really good offensive line. They have a lot of depth on the offensive line. Yep. They, they've got A.J. Green, but they've got Tyler Eifert. Again, an injury question mark. We don't even know if he's going to be ready for week one. And, and he, he is one of the uh, best young players in this league when healthy, in my opinion. Like on offensive or yeah. inside the ball. He's ridiculous. Yeah, he's a in red zone. skill set. Not- He's a red zone dominator and guys that score a lot of touchdowns like that, you know, they will make your quarterback look better in a, in a, in so a hurry. There's a lot of questions here with right. the Bengals. Um, a lot of people love Tyler Boyd in the fantasy community. Um, to me, he's purely a slot receiver and their um, comments after the draft back that up. And that's where they're going to play him. So theoretically, and they even compared him to this and the media did as well to Muhammad Sanu's targets. I mean, Sanu wasn't on the field in every package. It was Marvin Jones as the outside receiver. So if Brandon LaFell is taking that Marvin Jones role, is he going to see more targets? Is he going to see more production? I think that's a valid question. And two, Gio Bernard just got a new contract. Um, I I think Brandon LaFell starts over Tyler Boyd for sure. Okay. I I know our buddy Joe Goodberry thinks that. And what would really spell trouble for Tyler Boyd is if the Bengals go go back to playing some Powerball because I could see them doing that yep. um, with you know putting Ryan Hewitt in front of Jeremy Hill in the I formation, using a little bit more of their second tight end Tyler Croft, who I know they like. I think they like this third tight end too, CJ Uzoma. I think that they might go back to pounding the ball a little bit. Well, I mean, what, that's what they did with it when they lost their weapons in 2014. Right. And Jeremy Hill got a ton of carries. But what but happened to Jeremy Hill last year? That's that's the that's the big question. You know, is Jeremy Hill going to bounce back? You know, I, th- I think they'll they'll figure that out in preseason and and early in the season, and that they might have to kind of go by the fly by the seat of their pants a little bit here. It's there's a lot of moving parts in this offense. Yeah, because at least to me, it seemed like he went down on first contact way too often oh, last yeah. year. Yeah, um, I, th- I think one of his issues, though, Josh, was that they were running him out of the shotgun because they were playing shotgun offense. Right. You know, they had a great passing game weapons. Andy Dalton was playing the best football of his career. They could pick you apart. They could protect him. Yeah, and they were playing shotgun offense. And Geo is dynamic out of the shotgun, and Jeremy Hill sucks out of the shotgun. <laughs> um, I honestly want to see a little bit more Rex Burkhead in this offense. Um, as someone, cause they motioned him out sometime as a slot receiver. Now I know that's not going to be a fantasy productive player, but, um, as someone that can be used as a gadget player, I, I like a little bit of Rex Burkhead. Um, cool. You move on. You, you're cool to move on to yes. the Cleveland Browns. Um, cause another very interesting team, um, took my guy, Corey Coleman, at number 15 overall. Um, will Corey Coleman lead all rookies in targets during his rookie season. Yes. I think that's like a, a pretty easy bet to make, correct? Yeah, Barring he's going to be good in fantasy right away. And I think they will not only get him the ball you know, with targets, but I think that they will get him the ball as a ball carrier as well at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the best big play threat in the draft last season, regardless of position. And outside of turnovers – Big plays really are the driving force and changing the scope and the outcome of game. Um, and they kept bringing that up. I mean, 
through one, and not just talk about the draft here, but through one draft of this new regime in Cleveland, we can, it's, it's obvious that they care about production and they care about big plays. Um, and Corey Coleman offers that production. Now, from a receiver standpoint, they really have no one else. I mean, obviously Gary Barnage at tight end, who was a uh, revelation last year. But then they took late rounders in Jordan Payton, in Rashard Higgins, in Ricardo Lewis. I know a lot of people are optimistic about Rashard Higgins. But to me, it'll be very difficult, if there is even an answer, to guess the second wide receiver that emerges. And I doubt one even does. It'll probably just be a veteran like Andrew Hawkins, or it'll probably be Andrew Hawkins. It might be Terrell Pryor. I wouldn't rule. I wouldn't rule huh, that out. Yeah, true. Um, so they also didn't add a running back, even though everyone expected them to. Um, is this yeah. a great sign for Duke Johnson, or do you think they'll keep him more in just the pass catching role, which he's fantastic at? I think they'll try to work him in more. I I, I think he's going to be a guy that Hugh's going to love scheming the rock to. And getting him in space. And I think Crowell will, will continue to have a role. Our guy Ray still loves Isaiah Crowell. Hmm. Uh, he, he wrote, he wrote this blurb that kind of got fantasy Twitter going a little bit because fantasy Twitter does not like Isaiah Crowell. Right. And the other day, Ray wrote a blurb that was like, uh, uh, Isaiah Crowell will be an absolute steal in fantasy drafts this year, like really aggressive. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. And I mean, I, I think Isaiah Crowell is going to probably still start and there will be games where he gets, I mean, he, he'll, he'll probably outperform his average draft position. People still like Terrell Watson, one undrafted guy out of small school, super productive, good testing scores, fits the profile of a lot of fantasy observers. Um, but you and I are both confident, right? That it's Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell, and then maybe a third one gets an opportunity just depending on injury. I think it'll be Crowell and Duke Johnson. Okay. Um, are we certain that Robert Griffin the third will start the entire season if healthy? No. <laughs> um, okay, good. Then we'll just move on. All right. Um, let, let me just ask you one yeah, more thing. Was there a guy that you pre- preferred more uh, in that possession receiver role long term, Jordan Payton or Rashard Higgins? It, I was more of a Higgins guy. Um, okay. It's funny because I loved Corey Coleman as much more than anyone. Right? Um, Matt Harmon loved Rashard Higgins, and Matt Waldman loved Jordan Payton. So, I mean, hopefully, uh, one outside of Corey Coleman gets an opportunity, but neither are the type that are going to put up some dynamic numbers or, or dynamic talents on the field at all. Like ever. Um, ever. No, they're they just possession guys. Um, in fact, Richard Higgins is like, was one of the worst athletic testers in this draft. Like easily, I think like bottom 4% or something like that. Um, really bad. Um, Baltimore Ravens just facing their setback at this time of this recording. We don't know exactly Brashad Perryman's outlook. Um, so then you're left with, uh, what, 37-year-old Steve Smith? Um, yeah, Mike Wallace, who signed the offseason, and then Kamar Aiken, who actually did well last season. Yeah, this is, you know, I, I, I for now, I'm just going to speak like Brashad Perryman is not going to play this year. I think that's fair. Because, because, honestly, coming into the season, I had really low expectations for him anyways, and I liked him a lot coming out of the draft, coming out of UCF, but he he's just had a lot of things happen to him in his life, you know, and it's just, it, 
like for any 21, 22 year old kid, like it would be really difficult to recover from that. I mean, I don't, so I, I think that I'm just going to kind of treat him as a non-factor right now. Uh, I think Mike Wallace has a ch- chance to make a big rebound and lead the, the Ravens in receiving yards this year. Kamar Aiken was the most productive player in Mark Trestman's system last season. I think he had almost 80 catches. I mean, he was very useful was in fantasy. Yeah, he, he was, he was, he was consistent. A, and with terrible quarterback play. I mean, yeah. Clawson and Mallet and Schaub, you know, he was productive. And I, I think he's the best bet to lead the team in catches. And I know people say, you can't bet against Steve Smith, but um, I think it would be a success story if he came back and was like a useful third receiver at age 37 coming off a torn Achilles. And I think Ben Watson could lead them in touchdowns. I mean, Ben Watson, um, Ben Watson, he's, he's a good player. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's always interesting with these tight ends, especially ones that are taking the top two rounds, right? When, once Max Williams was selected last year, people hopped on that train and even before then. But to me, he's just not um, the all-around dynamic presence. And I think that tight ends are very difficult to project from college to the NFL in that way. Um, and that we try to force them in so many ways to be a difference maker on an offensive side of the ball or an offensive team. And Max Williams just didn't look like that at all during his rookie year. Like, didn't flash that at all, in my opinion. Um, yeah, there were times when he was playing behind Nick Boyle, who right. ran a who ran a five point oh four forty coming out of Delaware. Undrafted guy, I believe. Um, I do want to talk about Kenneth Dixon though at running back. Um, I know that Justin Forsett has been productive in the past. And this is a good offensive line, in my opinion, even though they lost Coleccio Simile. Um, but Kenneth Dixon, one, I'm amazed he lasted until, what, the fourth round, I believe it was? Yeah, he was one of those fourth-round picks. I think Kenneth Dixon, behind Ezekiel Elliott in this draft, has the best chance to be a true three-down back. Um, I think he's a great receiving back. I think he's great after the catch. And I think he can create on his own as well. Um so we always talk about running backs who pick up the yards blocked for them. He absolutely does that. But creating on your own, he does that as well. And I think that's very difficult to find. I think that separates great from good. Um, go a lot ahead. of experience having to create his own yards behind that horrible Louisiana Tech line. It, he's, he's such a fun player to watch. Like we always talk about production, these things. And, and Keenan Reynolds um, drew all the headlines in college last year for breaking the NCAA rushing or total touchdown record. Kenneth Dixon is like two behind him on that list all time. Um, Kenneth Dixon's a really, really good player. And one of those that I'm absolutely fascinated to see during preseason, because I think he could be the narrative shifter during those three or four weeks and be one of the true risers, just depending on his role, I guess. I mean, he's better than Buck Allen and he's better than Lorenzo Taliaferro. And just in my opinion, I don't know what you think of those guys. No, I agree with you from a, a skill set standpoint. I, I remember we, we we did our pre-draft show, and I think you said, "What if uh, you know Kenneth Dixon goes in the third round?" I was like, "He's going to go way before that, right?" You know. And then he went into the fourth, where the Ravens actually, you know, in that fourth round, the Ravens took like the five best players in the fourth round, right. which was pretty cool. Um, but um, yeah, but ahead. Buck Allen last year from week eleven on was the number three overall scorer in PPR leagues. So was he really? Yeah. So um, he has shown the ability to produce fantasy points 
in the NFL for a decent stretch. I mean, it's not a big stretch, obviously, but that means something to me. And I, I'm with you. I, I know that Kenneth Dixon is a better talent than Buck Allen, but Buck Allen has a year in this offense and we've seen him put up big fantasy weeks. And that means something to me. So if, if I'm going to draft between these two guys, I'm going to take Buck Allen before Kenneth Dixon in drafts though. Kenneth Dixon goes before Buck Allen. Right. Next team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, no more Tavis Bryant. Um, Sammy Coates. Uh, we both agree that even though some people really like Sammy Coates coming out of college, he is not the talent that Martavis Bryant is, even though he is kind of a high variance player mm-hmm. in the same way that Martavis Bryant is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's just not as good. You're right. You're right. He He's like... And he's like smaller and more compact. And I liked him after the catch, Josh. Yeah, me too. You, I did too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He, and he, he actually got the, got the opportunity to make a few plays after the catch, uh, in the playoffs, I, I believe it was. Um, he had a, he had a couple of big, couple of long catches. I think it was against Denver. I want to say it was against Denver. E- either way, he, he's going to get opportunity, but what does that really mean? You know, does that mean 35 catches? Does that mean, you know, I, I tend to think it's more like that as opposed to like getting 60 catches and being a legitimate fantasy factor. My expectations are pretty low for Sammy Coates. Maybe that'll end up looking stupid. I just think Antonio Brown is going to catch like 170 passes this year. Like that wouldn't shock me if he did. Uh, and I think Marcus Wheaton, we, we've seen him get better every year of his NFL career. He's established a role in the slot. He's going to continue to get more targets with no Martavis there, with no Heath Miller there. Right. And then the wild card is Ladarius Green. Who's a very who, different tight end than Heath Miller was. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, so yeah. it'll be – I mean, what, what are your expectations for him in that do we have – a parallel that we can already point to saying he's going to fill this role or is it kind of a completely new player in this offense? I honestly have not even decided. And even once I quote unquote decide, I'm not going to pretend that I know. I just know that in drafts right now, he goes like eighth or ninth round. And I think that that's a pretty good area for him to go. That's usually like your, your, your second bench player in, in a normal draft and I, I think that's a, a pretty good range for him to go. Uh, we, we know he has big play and red zone ability. We just don't know exactly how many targets he's going to get. We, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is a hard offense, but beyond Antonio Brown, you can see that the targets ending up going in a lot of different directions, especially if they have Le'Veon Bell, who's going to command catching running back. Yeah, he's going to command five, six, seven targets every week on his own. Um, Antonio Brown's your number one ranked wide receiver. Where would you place Le'Veon Bell in that spectrum with running backs? Well, I've been really cautious with him because he's coming off two knee ligament tears. And he also had a knee ligament issue the previous season. Um, I have him as, I think, the RB4 or or RB5 overall right now. If he was 100%, Josh, he'd be my 1.01 pick. And Mm. I I would take him first overall in every draft. But the the injury is concerning to me, and I'll, I'll move him up if we get more signs that he's healthy. Um, you cool to move on to the AFC East? Yeah. All right. Buffalo Bills um, with Ty God and Sammy Watkins injured. Um, LaShawn McCoy injured. Um, 
Give me your perspective of this offense with Tyrod in year two as the quarterback. I think it's pretty much going to be the exact same thing we saw last year. And they're going to lead the NFL in rushing attempts, and their defense will be just good enough to allow them to do that. And their offensive line is, you know, just good enough for them to be able to do that. And I just, I, I think it's going to be just pretty much the same thing that we saw last year. And then if guys get hurt, things kind of change. My, my concern is with Sammy Watkins because I like Tyrod Taylor in fantasy, but I don't like him if Sammy Watkins is missing time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, pe- I, I know people will say, well, you know, this is football dudes get hurt, but Sammy Watkins is already hurt. Yeah. You know, he, he <laughs> suffered a fractured foot, uh, actually played with it last year and, and needed surgery that was late. I think he'll be ready by week one, but I don't, you know, he's, he's at much more injury risk than a guy who enters the season healthy. Um, you said that they're going to run the ball. They're going to lead the NFL and carries once again. Um, talking about someone that's injured. Isn't LaShawn McCoy injured already? So are those target, I mean, are those carries going to Carlos Williams, who I believe has a history of injury himself, or now Jonathan Williams, who just missed last season with an injury, and then Mike Gillisley, who's been kind of a journeyman since emerging his final season at Florida, but doing nothing with the Dolphins' first team. Right. So I, you know, this is the depth chart. LaShawn McCoy, number one, Carlos Williams, number two. Mike Gillisley, number three, Jonathan Williams, number four. And I think that three and four could change if Jonathan Williams shows well. Uh, And then number five, the odd man out, James Wilder Jr. So are you just optimistic about the number of carries that they'll have, not necessarily a specific player on the roster? Right. I think Carlos Williams is really interesting right now, though, because I think he's going to get – a certain number of carries each week, you know, and very possibly a lot of them occurring in scoring position. Um, I mean, he had a run last last year where, I mean, it was fluky, but he had, he had a run where he scored like touch, a touchdown in like six games, six straight games. Um, and I mean, he, you know, I, I think that both you and I were skeptical of him coming out of Florida State. And obviously Absolutely. that, obviously the NFL was too. He went in the fifth round, but he showed he can play in the NFL. And we knew he, he like had the toughness. You remember he was a safety and a special teamer early at Florida State. And yep. we knew he had the athleticism and, and he just, it, it just kind of, it happened for him. And if LaShawn McCoy misses time, I mean, Carlos Williams is going to blow the roof off. Now moving on to the Patriots, how early is too early? to take Rob Gronkowski or is there no answer because you're cool with taking him number one overall? (laughs) No, I, you know, some tight ends have had better seasons recently. There, there was a a stretch where Rob Gronkowski was the clear one. And then the next tight end didn't deserve to be drafted until like fifth, sixth round at earliest, you know, I mean, Graham would be there. um, But, you know, certainly like not last year, mm-hmm. um, you know, where he was going to Seattle and there were concerns about his usage, you know, et cetera. Um, I was a little bit more bullish on Gronk last year, but I still think he's a top 15 pick. Right. And uh, where does Mike Martellus yeah. Bennett factor into that now? So he's a guy that Ray and I really disagree on. We actually argued on uh, the fantasy feast about him directly. Um, I, I, you know, I think his range of potential outcomes is wide. He could be 
a sort of role player who ends up blocking a lot, only catches four balls and five TDs, and that doesn't really help you, you know, or he could have a really, really big role because you got Jillian Edelman coming back from double foot surgeries. You got Amendola always hurt, you know, now coming back from ankle and knee surgeries. Um, you don't have a whole lot at, at receiver, really. They right. they know that. They went out and signed Chris Hogan. They drafted Malcolm Mitchell. Um, they signed Nate Washington. In, in 2011, and I know that this is was an outlier year and this is not going to be repeated, but we do have some precedent for the Patriots having two big-time fantasy scorers at tight end. In 2011, Gronk was the number one overall fantasy tight end. Aaron Hernandez was number three despite missing two games. You know, Martellus Bennett is a baller. He, he he can play, man. And if, you know, if things kind of break right for him and his attitude is right, like it would not shock me if he has a really big season and Gronkowski does too. And he, he can play in any personnel grouping as well. Absolutely. I don't know if they'll use him in that way. So you're not buying this Aaron Dobson love from OTA7? <laughs> no, man. So, okay, let's do bring up someone, though. Deion Lewis, because I'm I'm yeah. shocked that – they did not add a running back in the draft I know. Um, because when the into, when there were offensive line issues towards the end of the last year, plus Deion Lewis went down, the offense seemingly changed, um, even more so getting the ball out super quick. Now, again, they tried to fix the interior of the offensive line, drafted Joe Tooney. Um, hopefully people get injured. I mean, they even had, um, you know, John Lynn Cooper involved in that deal, whatever that means. But these young guys that have played – have experience now. Hopefully that helps in the guard center guard combination. But Deion Lewis, when healthy, was awesome. But he has rarely, rarely been healthy during his career. Is this someone that... Even at Pitt. I remember he was injured a lot at Pitt. Right. And and where do you feel comfortable selecting him? Because he's a talent that I believe in and the offense I believe in. Yeah, right. I love him because he's like a difference maker, you know. And right. He was averaging 100 total yards a game. Uh, through six games last year, he had 599 total yards through six games, and he's going to catch a shitload of passes again. And I mean, I, he's he's a difference maker, so I'm willing to be aggressive about him. And in in MFL 10 drafts right now, I'll take him third, fourth round, pretty much every single time. They they do have a guy who they can feel comfortable with if Lewis goes down again and James White who played a lot late last year right. they did and they did pick up Donald Brown yeah I'm I'm being aggressive on Deion Lewis because he's a difference maker in those first four games of the season with Tom Brady out um, what do you expect this offense to look like because to me it seems like a lot of people are pointing to them kind of managing Garoppolo. But to me, he's most comfortable like he was at Eastern Illinois in terms of split out three, four, even five wide receiver sets or five receiver sets and allow him to quick pass game. So I wouldn't be surprised that passing game, obviously it might not be as efficient, but it's still a high volume in those areas. That's a really interesting point because I've been under the assumption that they will try to manage him and you know give him a lot of high percentage routes to throw and hand the ball to LeGarrette Blunt. You know, that, that would be my assumption, but you make a really good point. He played in, in like, in like the, in, in a, a shotgun spread at, Absolutely. at Eastern Illinois. Yeah. That's um, a really good point. And, I mean, I could be completely off base, but just from what we know about him, what we've seen from him, um, I think that's where he's most comfortable. 
And it could be even as, as simple as a catch and release offense um, because he did a lot of that at the college level. But again, I think that they have maybe not the talent at wide receiver, um, but they certainly have the numbers at it um, as well. And, and with the tight ends, it certainly helps. Um, but I'm, I'm here's hoping that Deion Lewis stays healthy because he's an awesome player. I mean, what are, what are the highest percentage routes going to be? Even if you're playing shotgun spread, the highest percentage throws are going to be to Gronk and Martellus Bennett. So, yep. I mean, they could even, you know, even with Garoppolo in there, I think they could do some damage. Uh, Miami Dolphins. I think the clear question goes to Jay Ajayi. Um, someone that it seemed like last year's mess of a coaching staff. Um, part of them wanted him to be the lead back, even ahead yep. of Lamar Miller. Um, now he obviously gets that opportunity. Uh, what, what are you looking at with JGI in his second year? I really don't know what to think, Josh. <laughs> well, I really you. don't. <laughs> because because it would, the, the thing that's hanging over this is that I think they might sign Arian Foster. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I like Jay Ajayi too, a lot coming out of college and oh, man, I, I, don't, I don't know what to think. What did you, what, how did, what was your evaluation of Kenyon Drake? Um, okay. Here's the thing with Kenyon Drake and, and people talk about how he's great in a straight line, which is true. He's fast. He's a good receiving back. Honestly, Evan, he is the worst pass protector I have ever seen. Ever. Ever. Like, um, if he has to pick up a blitz, if he has to even chip, if he has to do anything, he he moves out of the way and just allows his quarterback to be hit or to unmark his guy. Um, it was during games at Alabama. It was um, at the Senior Bowl especially. Wow. I, I, I got to review the the coach's copy of that practice week it was the worst i have ever seen um and so a lot of people might say well hey just use him as a wide receiver sure but it's going to limit his personnel groupings right and 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 situations if he doesn't improve you have to be at least adequate in that area you know and and he's just not in my opinion that's interesting because Um, the alabama backs have been good at that and he's not and again i could always be wrong but I would be shocked if I'm wrong in this situation. I I much prefer Jay Ajayi out of college than I did Kenyon Drake out of college. 100%. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, hopefully they've they've fixed their their guard spots in some ways. Um, Larry Tunz was going to play guard during his rookie year if, if everything goes according to plan, and now you kind of have maybe not depth at wide receiver, but some very interesting names. We know what Jarvis Landry offers out of the slot. Um. Then you have Devontae Parker, who made some great plays and had some great games during his rookie year, even though he was injured for part of it, coming off that second foot surgery. Um, is Devontae Parker someone that you see emerging in this offense? Yeah, I think he's going to be frustrating in normal fantasy, uh, but I really like him in best ball. I think he's going to have some really big weeks. He's a he's a big play specialist. Um he but floats I, in the air. Yeah, he he does float. He does float. Um, I, you know, I it'll be interesting to see. Like, so a lot of people have a lot of faith in, in coaches. You know, sometimes like making players look better than they are, and I think that they can do that. You know, for for short periods of time. Um, but I, I still think that coaches are only as good as the players that they have, and. Uh, you know, I think even coaches would tell you, like, if you ask Rod Marinelli, you know, 
how good is your defense? You know, pretty much, you know, it's as good as the players that we have. Um, but, and, and I don't, I think the, 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 the offensive players that the Dolphins have right now, you could look at them and say they're, they're pretty mediocre. They're interesting, but they're pretty mediocre, yeah. but also, you know, Jarvis Landry, we know Jordan Cameron has talent. We know Devontae Parker floats. We know Kenny Stills can run. We know Leontay Carew. That, I mean, I, I thought he was going to be an NFL starter eventually. That is the name I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Because. Um, so, so, so it's just, we're, we're looking at this offense right now and it doesn't look sexy, but that, you know, that could six games and we could look at it and be like, wow. Yeah. Carew was a, a fascinating one after the draft. Um, like I said, I, I reviewed all the press conferences from every single AFC team and Carew was a target player for them prior to the draft. Um, and they even said that he's going to compete for playing time right away. And that this was something that, that was cohesive between the scouting staff and the coaching staff, that they were going to make him a priority player prior to the draft. Now, granted, he was their fourth pick in this draft, but to me, that screams that they want to get him involved um, or, or plan to. And maybe Kenny Stills is the one that's left out in those three wide receiver sets. Very well could be. They're different players, you know? Absolutely. Very different. Right. As you well know. But, uh, yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me. I mean. I'll tell you well, this, though, for, for the Dolphins. They kept bringing up, like, quote-unquote target players. But, man, their line this offseason was alpha personalities. That they wanted dogs. And blah. It was just, like, ridiculous, man. It's It's that, like jargon that NFL teams use and like Tannenbaum sitting up there, man, it was, it was ridiculous. That's um, so that explains why they went out and signed Craig Urbic. <laughs> yes. There you go. Definitely. I, th- I think that's the poster board for their off season. Um, I, okay. I guess we'll, we'll end this podcast with the New York jets who have no quarterback at the moment. <laughs> yeah. No, Gino baby. Yeah. Gino baby. And two very good and productive wide receivers, but both, Aging quickly. I mean, on the wrong side of 30, both of them. Um, no, Decker's still only 29. Oh, well, excuse me. That's close enough to 30, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I'm 30 when I'm 29. Um, so, okay. So, here's the thing. If Gino is the starter and they don't re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, how much of a drop-off do you see with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker? I think there would be a drop-off. I think there's going to be a drop-off period for Marshall regardless of what happens because his numbers last year insane. And I mean, I was on him before the season too, but I, there's no way I could have seen that season coming. Um, Decker was just a a model of consistency week in, week out. You know, he'd get you 80 yards or a touchdown, usually get you a touchdown. Um, But at worst he'd get you 80 yards. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't think Geno Smith is, t- is, t- is as bad as people think he is. Early in his career, you know, his number one receiver was Jeremy Curley. And then, and you could, uh, look at games where he did not have Jeremy Curley. And I mean, the drop off even then was super steep. So it's, I don't think we have a fair evaluation, honestly, of, of Geno Smith right now. Um, and these running backs are really interesting because Bilal Powell was awesome in mm-hmm. the second half of last year. He's a great fit for Chan Gailey's offense. I mean, on 33% of their plays, they run four wide. And, you know, there are 
holes in the defense that are created by that. And you get a guy like Bilal Powell in space, and he's he's going to look good. And now they got Matt Forte. Who's, Who I love in that offense. Yeah, I mean, I, they can use those running backs interchangeably, and I think they can both be pretty darn productive in that offense. So even if they wanted to go a little bit less pass heavy, you know, because they don't trust their quarterback as much, like they, they have a lot of a lot of – you know, they're aging, but they have a lot of playmakers. Yeah. And I think that they would still be pretty good on offense. To me, the question mark is the offensive line. Right. Um, DeBrickishaw Ferguson is gone. Um, I think Bruno Giacomini is a bad player at right – not a bad player. Uh, overpaid at right tackle for sure. Um, Brian Winters is not a good player. James Carpenter is okay. Like – and that's their starting lineup. Like afterwards, they – like have no one as backups. And we know that offensive lines get hit with injuries all the time. Um, so if I had to point to a question mark, it would be there. Um, and I'm really not expecting much from Jason Morrow this season either. Evan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was sad, a sad story. That, that was a miss. Uh, but I guess um, Devin Smith is someone we need to probably end on. Um, Devin Smith is one of the best pure vertical targets I've seen out of college in a long time. And it's not just because of the straight line speed. It's because he tracks the ball so well. He goes up and gets it and wins in those contested situations. Um, obviously, he missed a good per- portion of his rookie year because of an injury, I think, in the preseason and then injured at the end of it. Is this just going to be another missed season because of the injury he suffered at the end of the year? Or can he get involved as the third member of this trio of wide receiver? I think that the beat writers expect him to open the season on reserve PUP, and that That's would cost him. The, yeah, and, and that would cost him the first six games. Um, I, he was a weird pick to me, you know. And the Bills tried this with Marquise Goodwin when when uh, Chan get and TJ Graham when Chan Gailey was there, and you know they they get these little vertical receivers like these guys. These guys just don't really do much, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and especially like, I just thought it was a weird pick by McCagnan who I, I don't think he's, I don't, he, like, he has not impressed me as a drafter at all. This year you see him take Hackenberg. I, I know that Leonard Williams fell into his lap, but right. he really has not impressed me as a drafter so far. And, and what, what, but what he did do successfully and what he did do that made all the fans love him was that he went out and like traded picks for and spent a bunch of money on veteran players that worked out in the short term. But you know, I don't think that the jets are set up to do particularly well in the long term, right at this moment, unless McCagnan starts hitting some draft picks. McCagnan was such a weird guy to watch. Like he and Bowles, like working with the media. I, I know you guys do a lot more NFL blurbs than I do, obviously, but it seems like that is one of the tighter lipped organizations around the league. Um, and and not necessarily that they think they're smarter than everyone else, but just the answers that they were given giving, it was like they were saying the same thing, but just three different ways and giving no information about it. Like the Christian Hackenberg thing in the second round, we don't have to get into that, but like he's you talk about a guy not being good in college, and then how does he turn out to be good in the NFL? Yeah, we re- really weird pick. And w- when McCagnan took over the Jets. They were flush with salary cap space because John Idzik was like incredibly frugal, frugal to a fault. Right, because he and took that, over a terrible situation. Yeah, and, and now they have, um, now they have like the the 
fewest cap dollars in the league. And I mean, they, they can't really sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and they're just, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to to see how it turns, turns out. Um, Okay. Let's end this podcast the same way we did the last one Um, of the AFC East and the AFC North. Give me one name of a player on, on any of those eight teams that you're more optimistic about than everyone else. I know this is going to sound crazy, and everyone has already written off Brandon LaFell, and I understand why. I really do. I, I have twice, just for the record. He was horrible <laughs> last year. He's certainly not a dynamic player. He's like a he's pretty much a jag, but I think he could get a lot of targets in the Bengals' offense, especially if Jeremy Hill doesn't bounce back and they end up playing a lot of shotgun and throwing the ball again. So from an opportunity standpoint, yes. you like his, his fit. And I think he's going to play ahead of Tyler Boyd. Like I feel pretty confident about right. that. Um, and I think he could see 100 targets. And right. I think he could have some nice weeks. And you can get him in right now in the – shoot, you can get him in the eight, 19th round of, of MFL 10s. And I think he could be a factor in good matchups in daily fantasy as a guy that – you know, if you're really running out of receivers, you can pick up off the waiver wire and use them. And I also like him in, in best ball leagues. And I mean, he, he was good the season before he came back. He was, he was, he missed the first half of the season because he was on reserve PUP with the, with a foot injury. He came back and it looked like his confidence was shot. Couldn't catch anything. And I understand that everybody thinks he's the worst receiver in the league right now, but the Bengals don't. And I think that he's going to have a pretty solid season opposite A.J. Green. And I think he's going to be a starter the, the entire way. Uh, since you brought up the Bengals, I should mention the common versus uncommon opponent theory that Joe Goodberry always brings up. Now, it it was closer to about equal last year because Dalton played so well. But go back and look at the common versus uncommon stuff for any listeners that have not. Um, I'm going to throw out Chris Moore, the fourth round pick Ooh, by the Ravens. This is a good one. Um Steve Smith, we already talked about 37 coming off Achilles. Mike Wallace uh, has not done much in recent years. Brashard Perryman, knee injury. So if it's just Kamar Aiken with maybe Michael Campanero in the slot, you need another outside receiver. And Chris Moore was one of the better vertical receivers in terms of going up and getting it. Um, and a fourth-round pick. The, the Ravens put a huge emphasis on the fourth round this year. Eric DaCosta made it his priority to kind of reset and focus on that fourth round. And he targeted Chris Moore. And so I think if given an opportunity, Chris Moore could have, have um, some value this season. Um, cool. Evan, thanks so much, man. Finished off the AFC. Um, if you did not go back and listen to um, the previous episode where we covered, um, I believe the AFC South and the AFC West. Um, so Evan, thanks so much, man. Thank you. As always, we really appreciate it when you rate or review us on iTunes. You can find the podcast, if you have not subscribed, on Audioboom, iTunes, or Stitcher. And with the NBA Finals ongoing and the NBA Draft coming up, you should really check out Pro Basketball Talk podcast and the Roto World Fantasy Basketball podcast. You can find those on Audioboom, Stitcher, and iTunes, just like you can find this one. So thanks so much for listening, and until next time, talk to you soon. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.